Welcome to Riveting Broads, a platform for women to riff on what matters most. We're your hosts, Jackie Richard and Molly Merluzzi. We found that conversation in media and politics too often is about women instead of with them, and we plan to change that. From thoughts on vulnerability, identity, privilege, culture, gender, sexuality, and everything in between, we're going to talk about it all. Join us. Welcome back to Riveting Broads. Today we're joined by Karen Ristebin, Program Director at the Creative County Initiative, which is part of the Essex County Community Foundation, an incredible organization that covers all of the North Shore in New England. What is the uh, 34 communities 34 north of Boston. Com- That's incredible. Yeah. Thank 30, you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. <laughs> Today we're talking about a number of different things as usual, but our sort of grounding force is the power of human-to-human connection um, as it relates to um, building communities and um, making a difference in the world mm-hmm. um, through the lens of creativity, but not necessarily only through that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what you do, Karen. So my current job now, which is the best job I've ever had in my (laughs) life, and it's been a long life, Um, my current job is uh, with the Essex County Community Foundation, uh, and I manage the Creative County Initiative grant. We are in partnership with the Barr Foundation of Boston, a family foundation, which funded us for the last two years uh, to do infrastructure building for the creative and artistic network um, of our catchment area, which is 34 communities north of Boston, cities and towns. Uh, So I manage that grant and head up a steering committee of about 25 people to do the work uh, under that grant. And we were just refunded for another three years uh, by the Barr Foundation. So the work continues, and it may continue beyond that. So hopefully uh, the three years after the next three years, we'll be looking at how to sustain this work uh, in the long run you know, and how to make it happen without necessarily getting grant funding year to year. So Mm -hmm. it's great work. And it's what the arts and culture uh, community has needed for a long time. And this is really the first time that many of us feel um, there's hope for the long-term sustainability of this good work in our communities. Uh, without pulling our hair out. Right. <laughs> well, it's great, too, because you're unifying a lot of the resources, which I find in the mm-hmm. creative community is difficult mm-hmm. a lot of the time. I'm curious yes. for our listeners, what's part of the scope of the grant? Like, what specifically is your steering committee working on? Mm-hmm. What kind of initiatives are you developing? So we're building on what we did in the last two years, which was the pilot phase. We had 12 public art and placemaking grants out, which we required there to be partnerships among them. They had to be collaborative projects. So we required there to be an arts or culture nonprofit, a municipal partner, and a business or corporate partner. And that forced the uh, investment in the arts and culture sector by the municipal and corporate you know, sectors a little bit more by creating those partnerships. And those 12 projects have just completed and they were amazing. So we're building on that. We just yesterday opened up another grant 
uh, round. The portal is open now at eccf.org. Uh, uh, <laughs> the so portal is open. It sounds the so portal scientific. is open. <laughs> well, talking my language. <laughs> so we're uh, inviting proposals now for another round of grants for the next eighteen months. Uh, so we'll be doing that. We also last in the last two years we started introducing cultural planning to the municipalities, the cities and towns, to encourage um, the planners to include arts and culture as they plan for housing, transportation, other infrastructure, things that planners plan for. That's incredible. I didn't know that was an aspect as well. It was. Last winter, we had a series of um, four cultural planning labs, um, and we had 30 of the 34 communities show up for those. So about 130 people came to a basic cultural planning 101 uh, we partnered with Metropolitan Area Planning Council and the Merrimack Valley Planning Commission. Those two entities have all of the communities of Essex County, and they have convenings for the planners and the town managers and do town things. And so we partnered with them to introduce cultural planning to that network. Coming out of that, we are now engaged in the Merrimack Valley uh, doing a cultural asset mapping project that will take us through next June. We've hired a consultant, a nationally known consultant, Tom Barup from Minneapolis, and we've hired uh, Marquise Victor, who's an artist in Lawrence uh, with Elevated Thought, to head six convenings next May and June of the Merrimack Valley communities to invite people in uh, to say, what are the cultural assets of your community Merrimack or West Newbury or Newburyport. What does it mean for you to be here in terms of the places, spaces, events, memories, historic facts, historic markers, whatever? Why do you want to live in Merrimack or West Newbury or Newburyport or Lawrence? And what is it? What is the true meaning? So we're meaning mapping, mm-hmm. as well as collecting the arts and culture assets as you normally would with museums and galleries and you know historic sites and that kind of thing. We're doing that for the planners, mm-hmm. and so this map will live on the Merrimack Valley Planning Commission's website. And it'll be a searchable, geocoded map of those cultural places and spaces. But in the process of it, equally, probably more importantly, we're inviting the public in to do storytelling and maps of what it actually means to live in those communities. So when we're going to be digitizing that too in some form. I'm not sure how that's all going to look, but but that's what we're doing. Anyway, so that came out of the cultural planning piece of the Creative County Initiative. Wow. There's two more aspects to it. (laughs) Should I keep going? (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) Okay. Um, The other thing we did in the last two years was launched Essex County Creates, which is the first regional website and, and events calendar. And John Andrews of Salem Creative Collective is managing that for us and has been for the last two years. He will continue doing that with his team. So it's the first time that uh, people in Lawrence can see what's going on in Saugus and people in Saugus can see what's going on in Newburyport events-wise. Mm. It's also, we've started to build that out more as a robust um, 
communications hub and information center. So we're going to be doing more blogging on that and just more content, um, putting more content about the work and the impact and the importance of the work on that site and have it be sort of the regional hub uh, of that. Um, so we've done that. And then the, the fourth project that we did in the last two years was uh, the Arts and Culture Summit. Mm. We did two of those, one in 2018 and one in 2019. We'll do another one in 2021. We're not going to do one in 2020, thankfully. Phew. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're taking a, a year. Um, but that was, we drew in several hundred people to each one of those and had, you know, international and national speakers come in about placemaking and public art and diversity and equity in this realm and, and those kinds of topics. Um, so we'll have another one in 2021. In addition to that convening, we're going to convene a series of think labs, which um, ECCF, the, the Community Foundation, has started to do this in another part of their work, these think labs, where they bring in invited people uh, who are experts in the field. Um, they just finished one on the blue economy, and it, it was held up in Gloucester. So experts in the evolving maritime industries came in to talk about what they all have in common, what sort of their visions are, and how to move the needle collectively mm. so that the work can be done um, a little bit more um, collaboratively. We're going to do a series of four of those for the creative um, sector over the next three years. And those topics will include arts funding, looking at arts funding sources differently, trying to, you know, just... Um, pull different um, uh, ways to resource the good work that artists and arts organizations are doing. Um, another one will be on creative space development, affordable creative space development, so creative people have affordable places to create the work and right. present the work. Uh, another will be on arts leadership, uh, so it's something that uh, Dara Williams you know, t uh, talked about last week and in, in her her uh, time at the Cabot where um, she dubbed us all um, uh, connectors. Creative bridge builders. Creative bridge builders. Creative bridgers. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, how did I remember that? Oh, I remember. That oh, was teamwork. good, Molly. I know. <laughs> Thank you for the other the other brain work. Creative bridges. So we're in, in we have thirty four communities of Essex County and among those thirty four communities for this work to sustain in the future, there have to be those creative bridges. So we're going to be identifying who those are and make sure they have the resources and the connection among each themselves as a network of creative bridges to be able to share ideas and, and resources going forward. So that's, that's another one of the Think Lab things that we're going to be doing. And then another one will be probably on uh, how to strengthen the... Um, business outlook of creative entrepreneurs and professionals mm. um, and, and strengthen that, uh, strengthen them as, as business people, basically, right. connected to each other. Valued members of the community. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So. Wow. That's amazing. So anyway, that's that's the next three years. So what years. else have you been doing? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you sound bored. No. <laughs> I think it's so amazing because you, your organization and the the opportunity with the grant and the resources you have, I find that there's such a great need for everything that you just laid out. And it's amazing that you have the opportunity to do it 
and focus on it right. and create opportunities mm-hmm. for people in the business community, in the municipalities, in the creative world to connect mm-hmm. because yeah. I find what I've seen is there's a huge disconnect mm-hmm. there. So I'm curious, how did that work when you said, okay, you need to partner with the municipality, you need to partner with business, you need to partner with a, a creative? Like, how did those... How did it come about? Yeah. And so, how did the collaborations work? Did they get along? Well, did it, it, well it was a range, of yeah. course, of was, you know, everyone's different. Yes, lots of opinions, <laughs> Yeah, I'm lots sure. of opinions. So this all came about, like, three years ago, the Bar Foundation came to ECCF, and said, are you interested in, in getting $500,000 of our money to invest in the arts community of your catchment area? And they said, sure, but we don't do arts and culture. And they had not funded anything in the arts before this time. Uh, Dave Edwards was the CEO at the time, and he said, yeah, we'd love to have the funding. Um, we'll put together an advisory committee. So he put together a group of us um, for that summer, we did some uh, surveys and focus groups, and at the end of the day, one of the things that bubbled up to the surface was feeling people's feeling in the arts community lack of connection, mm-hmm. both to each other and to the rest of the world. Like they felt like they really weren't being seen, heard, or valued. Um, so we realized that the rest of the world involves, you know, uh, people doing other things other than arts. And I've always had a sense myself that, you know, we all talk to each other all the time and we all get each other. But if you're in a room of developers or in a room of, you know, business leaders, they don't necessarily get you. So part of what we steered, you know, in this grant and proposed to the Bar Foundation that we do is do these collaborative um, grants to see what would happen as an experiment over this two-year period with that, um, with those sectors coming together and doing something for the community outside their own realm or outside their own mission, you know, so much. So we, the, the grants that we put out, were there were 12 of them, um, as I said, and they were everything from, we funded the um, Native American Awareness Group, which happens to be based in Danvers. Mm-hmm. It's a Massachusetts-wide Native American Awareness Group. We funded their powwows for two years, three powwows. And they partnered with the towns, the three towns that those were done in, and with some business partners um, and with media partners. And, um, you know, as a result of that, their audience grew exponentially. I mean, it was a huge, huge audience. The one up in Haverhill, the first one, they they ran out of parking for people. And they really reached a lot more people than their, you know, than their own Native American group or people who self-identify as Native Americans. It was amazing, and what they, what happened as a result of that, they gained more confidence by having this funding. We, we gave them $30,000, wow. and that enabled them not only to um, hire, have more, pay for more, stipend more art, Native American artists, drummers, dancers, to come to the powwows so that they were much more robust, the powwows themselves. But it also gave the organization the um, internal capacity and confidence to apply for funding in other places. They said they'd always been turned down before. This was the first time they'd been funded in a cultural grant around here, believe it or not. And this gave them the confidence. And now they have 
secured more funding, including a $50,000 grant culture. I love that. I know, mm. I do too. So she saw this grant opportunity and, and worked with these young guys um, to do a proposal to create a skate park in Ipswich. But it wasn't just a skate park, it's a rideable artscape. They wanted the skate park to be an art piece in itself and mm. to be a beautiful form because they know how to work with concrete and glass and metals, and they wanted to put their creativity into the design of the place. They also wanted it to be a place where um, the public could come and do performances or do an art installation. So there's a whole fence area that's going to be a place where you know, people can do public art. Um, so we, grant, we, we granted them $30,000 as well to, to do this project. Over the last 18 months, these guys um, learned what it was like to go in front of a city board of selectmen, to go in front of the Conservation Commission, to go th to jump over the hoops they had to go through to get the permitting. The town gave them a piece of a, a existing ballpark in Ipswich, but they still had to go through the permitting process to get right. this done. And also, in the result of putting this together, they... Um, went to six or eight local small businesses, the hardware store, the lumber yard, you know, the concrete supplier, and you know, one-on-one -on -one learned what it was like to <laughs> create relationships of trust. Mm. And the people in those businesses saw these guys not getting paid. You mm. know, all the material, all the money went to materials basically, and to sort of research and development of the design. Um, so the small businesses saw that these guys weren't weren't getting paid, and they said, well, if they're not getting paid, we'll give some lumber, we'll give whatever they need. So they ended up getting a lot of stuff, you know, just, um, yeah, just donated. And to hear it from them at the end of the day, you know, we, I just had these exit interviews with all of these, uh, all of our grantees, and they came in and they said, what it did for us, we we put down our phones and realized that we didn't have to use any sort of digital technology mm. to get this done. It was all about showing up mm -hmm. in person and and sort of cutting down the preconceptions that people had about what skaters are like, what the whole skateboarding culture mm -hmm. is like for a town like Ipswich. And because they came in with their heads held high you know, and their shoulders back and presented well, it's now a, a complete community project. And there's a, there's a sign uh, at the lumber yard <laughs> or, or at Tedford's you know, the, at the front desk that says, I am a supporter of the switch. I called it the switch because it's Ipswich, but it's right. also the switch is a, a move in skating. Yes. Um, and there's a sign up there that I says, we are a supporter of the switch. It's a classic skateboard term that I am very familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and then, you know, this, the cashier at Tedford's is now, she's, she tells everybody who comes in, you know, this is, do you know about the switch? Right. And, you know, get behind it because we're behind it. The school system is now developing a class in skateboarding as part of its phys ed program, you know, it's just on and on. The YMCA has a thing, that, you know, they're planning to have some classes at the Switch next summer when it opens up. So anyway, wow. those are just two. They're great examples. Projects. And I think that what, what sort of the three of us were chatting about beforehand, but I made a couple notes here, but that idea of, 
Like, I wonder if the fact that they combined function and aesthetic along with the confidence, like it wasn't, because I think, you know, I wrote receptivity and barriers to entry when it comes to creative-based or cultural-based projects. Um, I think critics write them off as superfluous or as something that is um, is a luxury to have, not a necessity mm-hmm. to have. And so there's there's likely a an argument to be made that if you as an organization are able to give these smaller groups sort of the confidence and the the tools to be able to navigate or code switch to to reference uh rosario's recent episode into a like skaters not that they need to dress up as as um uh yuppies and go in and pitch their which they didn't (laughs) no and they shouldn't and they shouldn't but i think that i there might from from an outsider's perspective i could see why function and aesthetic as a, a balance between the two it wasn't just you know, not to say an art installation of its own accord um, doesn't have value, but people, I think, can can see like, wait a minute, this is going to give back to a community. And that's um, a real, that's a great point, Molly, because that's why we focused on public art and placemaking. And in public art, we did fund a murals project on the Cabot, um, the two new murals on the Cabot Theater, but um, we really look for and then this next grant round we're really going to be looking for how the community is engaged in the work Mm -hmm. either in the making of the work or the use of the work or creating more you know multipliers with the work or you know um, just how how it's going to live in and for the community um, you know, the Ipswich folks are big on saying this was made, you know, by the people and for the people. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that's a really big deal. Right. A really compliment. big deal. And it, I think that's a yeah. huge, like, it's a really great example, too, because skaters are stereotypically, you know, like punks, you know, mm-hmm. bad attitude, transient mm-hmm. types, maybe, you know, they kind of fall into that category mm-hmm. of... Um, What's the word I'm looking for that I refer to? Degenerate. Really? <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and at least my perception. And I'm saying that lovingly because I've always hung out with skaters. Like, mm-hmm. those are my people. Yeah. yeah. Um, my, so, son, my son was one. Yeah. yeah. I kind of like him. Yeah. yeah. Are you kidding <laughs> yeah. me? I used to. I am no stranger to yeah. being a girl at the skate park. Yeah. And just watching all the cute skater boys. I used to do that a lot. But <laughs> but I think it's it's a great example because stereotypically, if you take um, young men like that and you put them in a situation with someone who owns like a lumber store they might not look at them and take them seriously but when these guys come in and they talk with confidence and compassion and conviction about this community project that they want to do to help engage the community mm-hmm. you're creating access to something they wouldn't have had access to and then it's more importantly an opportunity for awareness for someone else to kind of get out of their own mindset and check their um, opinion at the door and realize that maybe they were wrong Mm -hmm. or maybe they had a misconception and now all of a sudden they're evangelizing them. Mm -hmm. I find that happens a lot. And it's actually not that hard once you put people in front of each other. And I think that's your point. Yeah. That's what you guys are doing. You're you're facilitating the connections. You're providing the resources Mm -hmm. for them to be able to thrive on their own, Mm -hmm. which is so cool. And I feel like the long-term effect is going to be that these businesses, these really powerful businesses, see the value in putting their money into those communities. Like I, I work for my family's insurance agency. And so actually plug for Arts and Culture Summit. 
I say this about a lot of things, but, and I'm not even really speaking in hyperbole, it actually did change my life because I, this was two years ago, it put everything in motion for me going to the Arts and Culture Summit. And that's like... Yeah, you've shown me that. It's true. It's 100% true. Mm. So I was working for the insurance agency, which I still am, and I love my family, but I always said I would never work in the insurance agency and I would never work in the industry and blah, blah, blah. So two years ago, I'm like really just searching for my purpose and trying to find it, some passion in this thing that I'm like now in. And so I found the Arts and Culture Summit just on a whim online. I didn't know anyone. I knew I know Crystal Bates from the ECCF, so she turned me on to it. But um, I went and I met the um, some people from the Creative Collective. And then we started partnering heavily. And um, after that, I petitioned them to let us join Creative Collective as the insurance agency. And I mean, they were they were excited that we saw the value in it and they were like, why? And I told them, I was like, well, A, everyone needs insurance <laughs> and you have a lot of creative businesses, but B, why do you think the North Shore is so great? <laughs> we have Salem, we have Beverly, Peabody is doing a lot too. Like the arts and culture is what's moving our mm-hmm. community forward. It's what brought me back here after living away. So I think what you guys are doing is really, really amazing work. It's so necessary. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing that, Jack. I didn't realize that that was such a personal journey. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank wow. you. Wow. It's funny because what you said, Molly, about how the function, the func- the idea of functionality versus pure aesthetics, we've been considering this work as like it's based on art and culture and beauty and the things that you know the 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 aesthetic things no one can live without we know that you know we can't live without music we can't live without beauty in our lives but the unique thing about this approach is that it's not just about that it is about creating good art but it's about how that art functions in itself it's not about functional art so much. Like a skate park is a, is oh, a functional no, piece agree. of art, but it's it's about what the art then does. Mm. You know, right, right. What does it? The value proposition is not just in the, the aesthetic or the functionality. Right. It's in what it enacts. Exactly. Yeah. yeah no, I think yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. I was, I'm curious about um, for both of you in your respective roles. You know what. What are the barriers? Like, I could probably pontificate on what barriers you come up against, but I'd be interested to hear. So I hear your story, and I think that's the way the world should be, right? <laughs> like, I hear that, and I'm like, yeah, that makes perfect sense to my brain, to my heart. I completely understand the value proposition of your organization and live and breathe it every day. Um do you feel that, and maybe this is me thinking you have more of an uphill battle than you do, but do you feel like that receptivity, the sort of, the the reaction I'm having to it on a personal level, and Jackie has had it on a personal level, um, even more so with your professional world too, do you feel that there's a, it's a big uphill battle or are you finding that people are like, yes, like just like Molly, like let's do this? People understand the concept. It's very resonant with nearly everybody. You know, I've run into a couple of people who have said, I don't really get what you're doing. But, you know, but nearly everybody gets it, especially when you tie it to community, you know, just this concept of, of what community means to us these days. Um, 
But the uphill battle remains because what drives the work is still on the individual artist level, you know, and artists still have trouble with, if they're making work to sell, with finding buyers. Mm -hmm. They still have trouble, you know, getting funding, and there are no, very few individual grants available to do work. Uh, They still have to work two or three jobs. Mm -hmm. They still get you know, kicked out of their studio spaces in the South End, you know, of Boston and everywhere else, because, you know, the rents are going up and, and gentrification is happening. So those systemic um, issues remain and are very, very deep. So we're in this process, we have those like front and center, we have those like in our third eye, it's like, okay, we're going to look at the funding, we're going to look at the space issue and try as we're doing these demonstration projects and you know creating these collaborations in our communities um, funding them supporting them and communicating about them we're also very much focused on those deeper systemic problems of funding and space right the intersection of arts and culture with humanity yeah Mm -hmm. Um, because i think that that's where you know, for me as someone who has people close to her that are artists, I think, um, actually, I'm going to quote Jackie offline. You said, I think, you know, it depends on how you value success, like how as a society, Mm -hmm. we deem what we deem successful. And we've talked about this sort of peripherally on other episodes. Um, but really that idea you know, if if you're the breadwinner, are you valued more than your partner who's an artist in our world, mm-hmm. right? Say, uh, or to friends of mine that wanted to go out on their own and be, you know, uh, solopreneur. I hate that phrase. I'm retracting it. Um, being an entrepreneur on your own or a freelancer, an artist, et cetera, a creator, a maker, that when you go on your own, you try to quote someone the lowest number you won't resent. Mm. <laughs> and it's this phrase where I'm like, because you're, it's really hard for an artist, and frankly for anyone, or at least in my experience, it was hard for me to say this is what my an hour of my time is worth. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to think about it based on both what your expertise is and what value you're bringing to the table in terms of, of services or, or product, but you also have to think about what the industry will bear. And so when we say what the industry will bear, we're really saying like what people actually value what you do as, right? Or mm-hmm. through or et cetera. And so um, a lot of what happens with my husband is his value comes in bartering. You know, there's, but the bartering doesn't pay the mortgage, right? So it's like this, I think I'm speaking in one lived experience, but, you know, friends of ours that are similarly artistic and trying to make a, a go of it on their own is like, you don't say make a go of it in other industries always, right? It's right. sort of a natural idea that you can, you'll, you'll be able to pay the rent, right? It's more linear. Yeah. It's yeah. more linear. Yeah. It's exactly. just interesting. It's more guaranteed. I, yeah. Truly. And I love that there's a dialogue happening around sort of that intersection where you do have to get paid for what you do. Mm-hmm. Is it the driving force for what you do? No. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that uh, maybe it is for some people. I, I don't mean to say that everyone feels like that, but um, there is a practicality that has to come along with it. And there's a, and we would be, I think, remiss to say that there isn't a level of privilege oh, yeah. that, you know, when you're, 
uh, someone that's trying to be an artist and you have a partner that supports you, that's an, that's a point of privilege. Or you're trying to be an artist, but you have a foundational wealth that you can stay with your parents for a while mm-hmm. while you're building your career, etc. And I think that there's race and gendered elements to that as we always come back to, which is, you know, I love that you're organization is focused when you say culture i hear diversity right like this element of giving voice to the native american organization um their barriers to entry into that creative economy are very different than you know someone who could do this sort of because they feel like it versus someone who's trying to build an organization that maintains a history and an aesthetic it's actually um Kind of the opposite, because we thought when we were granting to the Native American group that we were, quote unquote, giving them voice Mm. and expanding their audience, whereas our experience with them shifted over time because they were very clear in telling us, we know how to do powwows. We've been doing them a very long time. (laughs) So it was more like... They were inviting us in, which I love to their experience. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a culture shift way more for us, you know, than it was for anybody else. And 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 it, you know, it wasn't. We were remiss in the assumption that we would be giving them voice. Mm. They have voice, right? We weren't listening. Ding, ding, ding. Wow, that's really big of you it to was admit. Huge. What? It was a, there was a moment, and it was uncomfortable. Yeah. They called me on something we love the that I, you know, inadvertently said out of my, you know, dumb whiteness or whatever. <laughs> it's like, oh, geez. Right. Right. Like that right. sort of paternal, like coming in and it sort of like, let me guide you into the world of the living. Kind this was of thing. early on in the project. We had just given them $30,000 and they set me straight. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Shout <laughs> There's out. nothing like Shout community to organizing me. to humble yourself <laughs> continuously. <laughs> I, I think it's amazing too, because what I was going to say is you didn't give them voice, you gave them leverage. Yeah. yeah and I true. think leverage yeah. in the form of social capital is the most important thing I for any that. marginalized community. And I've found that like in my experience, I think I don't consider myself an artist, but I consider myself creative. And I think maybe for creatives, one of the hardest things to do is um, decide your own value is totally. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Your own value is basically that what you're charging and what you've decided your time is worth is fair That's and right. you're worthy of it. Because right. I think that in my experience with the next gen, people love the fact that it's so inexpensive and it happened, you know, and, but it was free for a long time and people loved that way more, but I didn't. Mm. And I really started to resent it after a while. Cause I was like, screw this. Like I'm burning out and why? And I think that happens to a lot of artists too. Of like, who am I doing this for? If not for myself, at least a little bit. And I think it's okay to be a little self-serving in that respect. And artists need to learn that skill set to an extent not in the way of like the me mindset that we talk about in business where it's just business and blah 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 but yeah they need to learn to value themselves a little more and i think by getting that kind of money and that kind of funding you're like oh wait Mm -hmm. we can do this we got this that that sort of value has a lot of manifestations and just it's you know it is as different as we all are so 
Yeah. You know, there was a fun, there was a time in my career where um, in, I was in an MFA program in Vermont, Vermont College of Fine Arts, and I was making art. I was making work. I was making some videos and doing some drawing and making sculpture, and most of it had to do with water and nature and reflections and refractions and. One of my professors, this was like halfway through the program, he said, you know, Karen, if you're really interested in nature, you might want to think about the relationship we have with nature right now, which is quite tenuous. And rather than making art, ask what's needed. Mm. And that changed everything oh my god that's a profound statement right from the teacher yeah that's right? amazing i still have the recording i recorded that it was a critique and i, I recorded it. i still have it on my phone it changed everything it made everything really much easier mm-hmm. it made me think differently about the value of my being a creative person in the world mm. Right. You know, right. it got me off the hook from, you know, a blank canvas, you know, sort of thing or a blank page. It's like I'm already doing stuff that, you know, connects, but it shifted it shifted the focus. Right. And it made everything better, richer, you know. And that kind of brought me into this work and right. you know, gave me this amazing perspective of like it's it's about you when you're in a studio or you're in a re- doing a recording or you're sitting with your guitar or whatever. Yes, you're in a moment and you have to be selfish in that moment. You've got to block out the rest of the world to let other things in that and shift things around and think differently about you know the notes or the paint or whatever it is you're working with. You have to be selfish in that. Right. However... Your artists are so, you know, uniquely um, made to be able to communicate about the things that matter in the world, you know. So uh, it was just, for me, that was such a shift. It was like, you know, you have this, you know, chance to be able to translate something that's, that's really needed. The translation is really needed. And so ask what's needed, what's what's urgent mm-hmm. you know and i think that that lens gives that false dichotomy that once you apply a monetary value to what you do it's not art anymore it's business mm. like that's a really hard thing for someone that is a creator or a maker that when someone tells you you need to do something by a deadline you know i find that with dan or our you know friends of his that are artists where they're like, well, I just create to create, right? And but how do you monetize that unless you're a fine arts professional? And that's a you know, in terms of the pyramid, a smaller a smaller subset. So, I think the the idea that you could say, um, you know, now that it, the fact that I'm doing uh, woodworking is not just a passion; it's my profession. And knowing that when you when you shift into that, that doesn't take your street cred away as an artist, right? Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't remove your um, creative clout. Mm-hmm. Instead, I think it gives you a sense of practicality, of course, as we've talked about, but also that sort of what's your intention? What? How are you going to make a difference through what you're creating? And that, that sort of social good aspect, I think, helps people, I don't know, Give broaden their value proposition to being beyond that of 
of dollar dollar bills, y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. You know, I think you're right. I think a lot of studio artists don't consider themselves public artists. Mm-hmm. This comes up in our conversations and in my interactions with people. I mean, I know a lot of fine artists who show work for galleries or show work for sale um, or do commissions, um, have work in museums, and they don't really consider themselves in the public realm as public artists because there's this image of the public artist as making murals, you know, or doing street, you know, festivals or whatever. And um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. Mm. Um, I had a conversation last year with uh, this guy Paul Carey Goldberg, who's a wonderful fine art photographer in Gloucester. He does amazing work of like boat hulls at night, and they're very abstracted and just these color fields of you know wonder, and um, and these beautiful still lives, you know, with really strange lighting and strange objects and stuff and he was saying you know I'm not a public artist but his work is so important because it shows us those things those worlds in very different very compelling interesting ways and makes us think differently about his subject matter which is what an artist does they shift things so that we're thinking differently or, or experiencing differently so I said you know what if we you know, projected some of your, put it, just use your image and then put it out into the public so more people can see it than mm-hmm. go into the museum and pay money to go into the museum or buy one of your pieces from your gallery or whatever. That's Those parts of art are very inaccessible to most people. Right. What if we thought about putting it out in the public realm and using the technology that we have and, you know, make a meaningful time of it you know an event or a day or an hour or a minute you know just uh so that more people can experience it anyway so it, what was his reaction he was he was intrigued That's did it exciting. end up happening or are you i don't know oh you're I don't still know. yeah i mean i we have i i didn't have you know five thousand dollars to give him like right there in the right. <laughs> you know I, I, I think it could be done very inexpensively right and now things are falling into place in a place like my hometown in gloucester like 1623 Studios, which is the former Cape Ann TV, now has the projectors, the meet, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollar projectors of luminars that um, that light lighting company, which is based now on Cape Ann, because mm-hmm. uh, the the director of it lives in Cape Ann, so she's storing her projectors at 1623 Studios, which wants to use them for public displays and and get more work out mm. into the public they want to increase their own skill set with that too so anyway that's right that's really interesting and really exciting and i'm hearing so much it's opportunity of, here yeah it's a lot of opportunity because there. it seems like there's speaking of creativity there are creative ways to get things funded there's creative ways to barter so that way it's not just a monetary exchange because you can't necessarily assign a monetary value to building community Mm -hmm. and i don't i think the long-term benefits are too broad to really be able to measure Mm -hmm. and i wonder if you think because it sounds like to me there's almost a status associated with being what kind of artist you are 
right? If you have work in a museum or galleries or whatever, that's something only rich people have access to. I mean, let's be honest. Danica talked about that. Right. Great point. And Rosario too. Yeah. To her point of activating the point as a cultural center where people, they have a museum that they can go and reference and see representations of their culture in the art world in a really esteemed way. And I wonder, is there some kind of status and this is a loaded question because i already have an opinion on it but i'm curious to hear yours <laughs> loaded questions it welcomed and encouraged <laughs> always but is there a you know a status to being like a gallery artist versus a, a public artist quote unquote would you would you think status is a loaded term it is it is very Preconceived much so. notions yes there you go i would say no because i just don't like the idea of status mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. ego because the status implies ego right and so and wealth i think it, it does class is right it does yeah I, I mean there are going to be there are studio artists who are always going to be studio artists who just do work you know uh, that are is meant to be in a gallery or a museum mm-hmm. that's not going to change for probably most <laughs> you know fine artists um and then there's a whole huge community of artists working in the public sphere, mm-hmm. not just doing murals, uh, but doing all kinds of work to connect with food, you right. know, farming, uh, housing, water, transportation, mm-hmm. kids, you know, right. the elderly. You know, there's a you know, millions of artists who are working in that way these days, as mm-hmm. there are millions of fine artists who will always work and create beauty in the way and create meaning in the way that they do mm-hmm. with their it's own It's part of that work. creative right. bridging it's, that Dara right. Williams so was talking about. It is. Point. So it's hard, I think, to make the distinctions of, you know, form or function or aesthetics or, you know, functional. You know, it's because it's, we're always going to need, we need all of it. Mm-hmm. We need all of it. Right. And that's a good point. Yeah. Art art transcends. It's it's more than just, you know, medium to a paper or some kind of canvas or background. That's right. But it's it makes like, me think like there's there's so many different kinds of artists within those, you know, like mm-hmm. this entire umbrella too. Like my friend Matt, for example. He's a welder by trade. He's always been so incredibly talented. He's just a creative at heart. Um, and he makes are out of metal scraps mm-hmm. and it's like some of the coolest stuff you will ever see and i always tell him like you could be rich seriously and what i respect and admire about him and what also just frustrates the hell out of me about him is that he refuses to turn it into a business mm-hmm. he's like i just love it i don't want to be that guy like charging a bunch of money in yeah. a gallery for my work he's like i wouldn't feel good about it it it's would a take lot away of work to run a gallery right. or to be a, you know to monetize your work. Right. It is. And there's a lot of risk involved. There is. is. So it's, I see, I see this dichotomy of Mm -hmm. like, you know, in some ways we idealize the arts and artists and put them on this pedestal of like, oh, if only I could reach that level of, you know, freedom and creativity. You know, concert musicians. Right, exactly. And And all those people. But then you see all the people that are struggling to really make it happen for themselves. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious as to what's what have been some of the initiatives that have been 
that you've seen most beneficial to the artists you work with? Like, you know, for the municipalities, for the businesses, the, what kind of resources have made it easier for them to thrive in their communities? Um, we do have some good examples that are bubbling up around here, but I got to say that the most, um, the strongest model that I've seen is in Denver. Um, I was out there for a conference in October, uh, Grant Makers in the Arts Conference, this national conference, and um, Greater Denver in 1988, the seven counties around the city of Denver got together and collaborated on legislation. Uh, there's actually a statewide law that was passed to allow municipalities or regions to dedicate one-tenth of one percent of the sales tax to arts and culture. And that law was passed in the 1980s. And then so in 1988, these seven counties around Denver got together and said, we're going to do this. So they created what they called scientific and cultural uh, tax district or something like that. Um, so that they created a district so that that one-tenth of one percent, one penny on every $10, started going toward arts and culture organizations on three different tiers. Of They created a whole system, and they created a place for it to be administered. And that was 1988, so it has survived all of these administrations. It has survived um, every 10 or 12 years it goes to um, a ballot initiative so that the public has to weigh in on it yet again every 10 or 12 years to make sure that we still want to be spending our public dollars mm -hmm. on art. And it has passed with flying colors, you know, every year without any problem. As a result of that, it funds 60 to $70 million a year to the arts sector of that seven-county region. And it funds three or 400 organizations. Wow. Anywhere from $1,000 to $100,000 to a million dollars, you know, to the wow. l largest organizations every single year. So those organizations don't have to be pulling their hair out, going to the same donors for that $60,000 every year that the rest of us do. Anyway, <laughs> that's one funding model. As a result of that, many, many more artists get to do their work uh, with better support from collectives and nonprofit organizations. And as a result of that, spaces have been, you know, popped up and developed, more creative spaces, because now they can put their money into real estate right. because they don't have to put their money into a development director for that amount, you know, right. whatever. I mean, the the so... That, to me, is the infrastructure that we want. Right. And it's a, it's a penny on every $10, yes. you said. It's one-tenth of one percent of wow. the sales tax. Wow. Yeah. Nobody complains. Everyone loves right. it. Everyone benefits. The, the kicker is, too, that the art, the, to access that fund, you have the, each organization has to apply for it every year. You have to establish that you are providing a public service in mm -hmm. some way that you are connecting to the public and that you provide free access to some metric i don't know what it is exactly but it's some standard that you have to be able to say there's free passes there's you know free access to this work in some way wow um so there's an equity component to there's it. a big equity yeah. component to it 
Yeah, it's wonderful. So my colleagues and I from ECCF brought this into uh, Senator Tarr's office recently to say, can we start this here, please? Mm -hmm. Can we think about a dedicated revenue stream based on the sales tax or whatever, any other tax that we have? So we're hoping to see something like that develop over time. It really needs to... I don't know if that answered you. What was your question? No, it did. I was I was curious of what models you've seen that of cooperation between municipalities yeah. and different organizations yeah. that have been most successful. And I think the pr- the proof is in the pudding. Denver is mm-hmm. one of the top areas in the country that people are just flocking to. I used to live in Colorado, mm-hmm. and there's been a mass influx of people. A lot of my peers from the North Shore, or not even the North Shore, but like Massachusetts, this area, have moved out there. And yes, gentrification is definitely happening, and that's a big problem there. Mm -hmm. But it's also, that's a natural side effect of when a community has more... capital you know that's 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 what happens Mm -hmm. but it it's nice to know that a city like denver that's so large has had a lot of success Mm -hmm. because it's you know something you can um work towards and it's a model that you can follow it's not like you're reinventing the wheel right Mm -hmm. and i think when you whenever we think about those squishy topics like we think arts and culture and so forth i think i always being backed up or bolstered by you know we talked about that elusive phrase lately that's been thrown a lot around a lot but the creative economy Mm -hmm. i you know when people are proposing things like you know the bev art um building at bev art for our listeners was a is a um a movement by Miranda Ashleen who runs Miranda's Hearth who we've talked about um several times previously and who was on an episode a few months back but talking about this idea of when she was pitching this 250 spot um, forgive me the numbers but a, a large group of small businesses mm-hmm. that were going to be put into an uh building or repurposed building here in the North Shore of Boston And what I thought was really interesting is that you think about, for me, again, Molly, when you pitch it to me, I'm like, oh, that sounds awesome. A community of, you know, creatives in one place, like building culture and and learning from each other and sharing. Um, But when you're pitching it to municipalities or to folks in power that dialing up the economic angle, right? Mm -hmm. Like the angle that in Denver, Colorado, that there's like a ton of money that you wouldn't necessarily think of as allocating towards the arts and i i think their model is such that then they can argue that by funding that you're putting money back into the economy because you're fueling businesses you're fueling organizations they're not all nonprofits, you know there's or community building and so forth so the point really is just about knowing your audience too and that sometimes with that bridge building that creative bridgers um that we've now referenced a number of times um is to me really interesting because you're you're basically you're not you're not smoking mirrors you're not you know uh sort of distracting from what's happening but you're you're my whole world like what i do professionally is messaging right and so you can message a catastrophe in a number of different ways (laughs) the same way you can message a positive movement in a number of different ways Mm -hmm. and so in order to to convey the value that something like community building through arts and culture has having a financial lens to it having a a tangible sort of demonstrable effect i think can be a really powerful tool to have in your arsenal as an advocate for you know the creative 
community at large. Absolutely. Yeah, no question about it. We need those we need those statistics. We need the data that says that when you go to a show at the Cabot, on average, you're going to spend another $30 on a place to stay or dinner or something else. Yes. So the, mm-hmm. you know, the exponential effect of, of each ticket, you know, or each, each encounter with art is more than just that encounter. Right. So those statistics are all over Americans for the Arts and New England Foundation for the Arts. I mean, there's a lot of good arts organizations that are collecting and communicating that data in a really compelling way right. these days. Big, the, the Arts Factor that came out of Boston last year was a great, really good study. Mm. You know, I look at it. Oh, sorry. Good graphics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say, like, I think it depends on how you look at economics, too. Do you look at it from, like, the top-down, trickle-down economics approach, which traditionally is looked at as... Um, a successful model from more conservative mindsets, more old-fashioned, like, Reagan-era kind of um, political mindsets? Or do you look at it from the bottom-up approach, something I prefer to look at, which is instead of, you know, trickling a little money down and letting people fend for themselves, do you support them from the bottom up and give them the opportunity to better themselves Mm -hmm. and give them the benefit of the doubt that they're going to do so? Mm -hmm. I think that's a big part of it. And I think that investing in the arts is truly in a long-term investment you're not going to see the fruits of your labor right away but to denver's point right now you eventually do see it in you know people moving to your area and you now now you're providing jobs for people when you go to the cabot you're paying multiple people's positions too whether it's salary hourly wage Mm -hmm. so the long-term effects i feel it's it's hard for people to see it but once, you know, they have a little more exposure to what it will be someday, I think that's when you start to see a little more mobilization. Yeah. And adding that human back to the sort of beginning we yeah. talked about is that sort of human to human connection of, mm-hmm. you know, alternative networking options with the Next Gen Network or, you know, alternative ways in which we connect um, creatives with the cities and communities in which they live. I think once you add that sort of human element, you can see that there are real repercussions to giving someone a job at the cabin. There are repercussions to having an installation that is both art and function with a skateboard park mm-hmm. brings people in mm-hmm. in a way they wouldn't otherwise. What would you say, just because we're sort of at the end here, um, would be the most important thing for our listeners to remember. So our listeners range across the U.S., which is exciting, but we also have a lot in the North Shore and New England area. Um, how they can support you, Karen Ristiman, as well as the Essex County uh, Community Foundation as a whole, um, and specifically the Creative County Initiative that you're working on. I mean, I know you are sort of in a role of giving um, in terms of funding, but how can we give give back mm-hmm. to your mission? So we're also raising money. You know, we're getting another million dollars from the Bar Foundation for the next three years of work, but we're also raising an additional $300,000 to support the work. So that's our budget for the next three years. So we'll be reaching out to the community uh, to raise that extra money. Um, but mainly it's, it's on bringing in ideas of how to break down the misconceptions and preconceptions about what arts means to communities and in communities. You know, bring us ideas of how better to connect with your town manager or how better to connect with 
you know, your planning agency. We're, we're, you know, we're making strides. We're, you know, we're, we've got this, you know, great big snowball that's going down the road, and it really feels like we've got great momentum. But every, you know, every idea that comes into us is super valuable. Mm. And what our steering committee can do with those ideas in, in our sessions is amazing. We got this group of thinkers in the room, and we have the funding for this time period. And so with that coming, and we have the Community Foundation, which is now um, very focused on its community leadership. Mm. And it's systems thinking. It's we're calling it systems philanthropy. It's a new term. So those things combine the funding, the systems philanthropy, the thinkers at the table, uh, you know, the resources that we have. Now's the time to bring in the good ideas of how to strengthen the relationships and make new relationships in our communities. Is it eccf.org? Yes. Yeah. And if someone wants to apply for a grant, can they do that through your website? It's ccf.org. Yep. Look under grants. Okay. Apply for a grant. I'll be speaking at the Institute for Trustees in oh, March. Oh, good. Yeah, that Wonderful. Day event. For the first time. They do the, great programming. It really, it's a good, uh, oh, on what? You guys, as a whole, there's oh, just been some good, great programming. Yeah, it's a really good. For the first time, the Institute for Trustees is having a special two and a half hour session on arts and for arts and culture for the arts organizations that will be there. That's great. Partnered with Arts Midwest to do um, a session on messaging. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you. Um, and we thank you for listening. Um, if what, what, are, what are our housekeeping things that we want to wrap up with? Oh, oh we have a couple. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, as always, if you liked this episode, please like, subscribe, share with your friends, leave us comments. We want to hear what you think, if you agree, if you totally disagree, we want to hear it. We can handle it. Um, and it's about getting better at what we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And we also are planning something really exciting for March. Yes. So we talked about it a little bit in the uh, last episode. The Riveting Broad Summit is on March 13th. Um, it's really exciting. A full day of um, breakout sessions, keynote panels, performances, Um all through the lens of um, women and women identifying based experiences, um, talking about topics ranging from freelancing and the creative economy all the way to, um, you know, representation, identity building, um, you know, uh, professional development and so forth. Um, we have the idea here is the same as this podcast is we believe a lot of the conversations, uh, um, you know, about women in media and politics are about them instead of with them. Um, that does not mean if you are not a woman or woman identifying that you can't buy a ticket or do a pay her way ticket for, um, you know, students and, and folks that we know in our community that would be interested in attending the day, but can't justify it. So, um, it's, we're super excited to to announce um, the keynotes in a few weeks mm-hmm. or a month, I guess, and a half. Um, we'll be revealing some of the panels that are coming out, um, and we're really excited to to have have you all join us in person. Talk about human human to connect, human to human connection. Yes, yeah, and it's on a Friday the thirteenth, right? Yes. So yes. what could happen? Uh, the Institute for Trustees is the next <laughs> the day. Next so day. <laughs> I'm gonna have a busy few weeks. We'll be primed. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. Um, yes, thank you all for listening. Um, we really appreciate you. And Jackie, as always, thanks. Thank you, Molly. Mm-hmm.